Welcome to the Piercefield Oliver podcast. My name is Louise Oliver and I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, financial planner, Matt Rowe. Our topic for discussion today is quite a meaty one, actually. It's long-term care. Now, I will just say we're focusing only on the rules in England for this podcast because they do differ in the devolved administrations. So, just to set the scene, approximately 418,000 people live in care homes in the UK. Now, this is according to Lang & Busson. Now, Lang & Busson are the chosen provider of independent sector healthcare market data in the UK, so it's pretty informed. So this is 4% of the total population currently aged over 65. Now this rises to 15% of those aged over 85. Now of that, 167,000 people are receiving specialist dementia care so obviously there's a high prevalence of that and that's around 40 percent of the total population of people in residential or care homes so let, let's just put this into a little bit of um, a bit of context so according to the center for economics and business research the average residential home will cost around about 40,000 a year and for nursing care, as you would expect, this is more with an average of around about 55,000 a year. Now, this is very much dependent. It depends where you live on the area. I mean, it can be much, much more. And in fact, one in 10 people end up paying more than £100,000 in care costs. Now, um, how long do people actually live in an environment of a care home. Now there obviously are many people receiving care actually in their homes. And from experience, people prefer to be in their homes for as long as possible in their own surroundings. But it does come to a stage where actually it's no longer viable to do that. Now the average life expectancy, now this is a bit grim, but the average life expectancy in care homes in the UK is 24 months and for people receiving nursing care in those homes it's about 12 months and getting over the first six months this is according to Bupa did a lot of research on this getting over the first six months is crucial because it's that upheaval of moving out of your home into a residential care home or a nursing home that can be really stressful so that's that's one to watch really now we're all living a lot longer aren't we so both men and women live around seven years longer than they did 40 years ago so planning for this is is really crucial isn't it matt yeah yeah definitely i mean i think some of those statistics you've you found there lou are uh, are quite quite eye-watering um quite scary i think for 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 a lot of people um but they do illustrate really i think the change in demographics um in the uk and of course you know as as there there is these sorts of explosions in the um in the age brackets of you know the 80 plus the 90 plus that, that we hear about in the news undoubtedly uh that's going to have a knock-on effect on you know the the supply of care and therefore therefore the cost so certainly a, a big consideration uh, for for planning, but I think one of the or, or one of the sort of important things to think about is actually care comes in lots of different sorts of shapes and sizes and will be really really dependent on 
actually how how much support an individual needs. So I mean, just to run through a few of the main types of care in in the UK, um, we've got things like domiciliary care, and that could range really from anywhere from someone needing some support, maybe one day a week, just even making a meal or you know cleaning someone's house uh, just to give them a bit of a rest to to maybe 48 hours of care a week for someone who's uh, really quite quite highly dependent then we've got things like immediate uh, intermediate care and reablement so that could be where someone needs care for just just a short period of time maybe if they've been in hospital and uh, you know they just need a bit of help getting back on their feet you know maybe those sorts of suffered a stroke or a heart attack and just just need a bit of help sort of getting back to back to normality and then as we move kind of up the spectrum of of dependency we're looking at the things like supported living so that's where someone's going to buy uh, maybe a self-contained flat or, or an apartment and have that that care on hand if they need it but they can still live independently and then we get into the realms of residential care homes which of course you know that those those individuals who need that sort of 24 hours of care on hand um, and nursing care which is of course uh, as, as you sort of described earlier the um, the need for that medical treatment on top as well hence hence the added cost in in your example and uh, people get confused don't they Matt as to whose responsibility is to provide care in, and it differs doesn't it in all of those situations and, and it's very individual so what's the situation with regards to just touch on some of those areas Matt and, and, and whose responsibility it actually is? Yeah uh, do, you, do you mean in terms of funding the care? Yes funding the care I mean and, you know how does it where does the NHS kick in and you know where is it you need to go into your own pocket? Yeah sure so it, it really does depend on the type of care you need uh, so in in England, and, and as you said earlier, there are there are slightly differing rules actually from Northern Ireland to Scotland to Wales, etc. Um, but for England, we have what's known as the single assessment process, and that's really to determine whether people uh, effectively need uh, what's determined as a health need of care um, or a social need of care. Now, where the need is, uh, where it's a primary health need the NHS will step in. So, for instance, if you needed to go into hospital, of course, the NHS will, will, will fund, um, you know, the length of time you need to stay there. But also, you know, other things like forms of palliative care, etc. Um, you know, those situations where they qualify for what's called NHS continuing health care, the NHS will step in. Now, unlike health care, social care is generally not free. And when we're talking about social care, we're talking about the other aspects of care. So that could be, for example, needing help with washing, cleaning, maybe eating, for example. And in those situations, it's the local authority's responsibility to establish what, what the individual's needs are. And when they assess their needs, they're also assessing their financial uh, capability to fund that cost of care. Now, four uh, local authorities are are expected to fund the cost of care, where an individual's capital is less than or equal to twenty three thousand two hundred and fifty pounds. 
Now, when we're talking about capital, we're talking about bank accounts, investments and business assets. It's not much, is it, that when you think about it, 23,250? It's not. And when you when you, you know, when we were sort of talking about the demographics earlier on, you know, generally speaking, those who need care have, have obviously saved and accumulated their, their whole life, you know, the vast majority of them. And that is generally the stage of your life when, when you have more money uh, set aside. So, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, so what happens is at that stage, people will think about how are they going to fund their care and hopefully they'll think about this in advance and, and, and do a little bit of planning, but, but we will come on to that. So if you are living in your home and you need care in your home, you prefer to do that, then the local authorities cannot take into account the value of your property. That's my understanding of, of that, Matt. Exactly. I mean, there is, uh, I mean, I've just mentioned capital that's included, like bank accounts, investments, etc. Um, but there is, there is, you're right, there is certain exemptions. So life assurance assets is, is another one. There is more complex rules around pension assets, depending on the type of pension it is, you know, whether you've elected to defer drawing your benefits. There's more, more complex rules around that. And then, yes, very much the main residence. This is always a, an interesting one because, again, that comes back to the type of care you need. If, if the local authority deems that your, your need for care um, is to put you into a, a care home, for example, um, you know, and that, that your needs can't be met at home, then in that situation, if you were living on your own in, in your own home and you, you owned your own home, um, then, you know, in that situation, they could um, assess your main residence. If they deemed that you could meet your care needs at home, as you just said, you know, care in your home, etc., then the res main residence is, is excluded. Um, so there is, I think, you know, if, if, if you're thinking of, of uh, doing some planning around this, it's definitely worth getting some advice about how assets are treated in certain situations because the, cap the rules, they can be quite complicated. Yeah, they are complicated, Matt. And I know that sometimes people think that the best thing to do is to deprive themselves of assets so they have less for the means test, you know, that they're hitting the means test sooner and therefore there's more to leave to their families in the way of inheritance. Now, I've got a bit of a um, an issue with this in that it doesn't work. If you give your home away and still live in it, you're still benefiting from it. And it's very likely that the local authority with their uh, assessment will unwind that and bring it back into the um, assessment if ultimately you then need to move out of your home and go into a care home. The fact that it's owned by somebody else can, can be unwound. So you need to be really careful of that. But also, there's another issue, isn't there? Because if you have the funds to fund a good level of care, for yourself in later life. I think that's a positive thing rather than rely on the local authorities to provide you with that care because it might not be the care that you would desire for yourself or indeed desired for your aged relatives if they're in that situation. So it is a bit of a, a fine balance. I don't know what your view on that is, Matt. 
Yes, well, well the, if the local authority is to step in to, to fund the care, they actually have a budget. And you can ask the local authority for what that budget is, um, but it's not very high um, compared to the sort of average average costs. So, yes, you're, you're right. Generally speaking, if, if the resources are available to uh, help to fund your care, um, then that, that, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, people are wanting to be independent and not rely on others to fund their long-term um, lives. And this is why some thought needs to go into it early on. And there are different ways of attacking this, aren't there, Matt? There are the different ways of planning in advance for this potential cost. Mm. Yeah, I would say that there's kind of two main ways, really, of, of funding care. You've either got paying for it in advance or paying for it when, when you need it. Um, now, of course, paying for it when you need it, there are, uh, there are certain products, for example, on, on the market, um, like impaired life annuities. You know, you can exchange a, for, a, for a single lump sum payment, uh, exchange for a regular stream of income to cover those those care fees costs or you can raise the capital in in other ways so there's equity release products etc which which are targeting on that but again they'll all be dependent on an individual's circumstances the second way as i've just said is to is to pay in advance and this is the market really that has changed quite significantly over the last sort of 20 30 years really um it, they used to be uh, quite a lot of insurance products available that would uh, effectively pay out a benefit when you failed a number of activities of daily living, as I was saying earlier, the sort of washing, dressing, mobility, etc. But, and you, you've probably got more experience with this than me, Lou, but that market has, has shrunk uh, significantly. Oh, it has, yeah. So, so what individuals are now doing to, to pay for their care you know, in advance is effectively self-insuring or, or putting money aside to ensure that, they, that the cost of care is, is covered and catered for. The sort of uh, work that we do with our clients, yes, does consider all of the options. Of course it does. But we try and encourage people to talk about this issue. They don't talk about it. It isn't the sort of thing to bring up around the Sunday roast table, is it? You know, what have you thought about your care? Uh, auntie, uncle, gran or mum and dad even. And, and uh, it's something that's not talked about until it becomes a problem. And then there's a mad panic to say, oh, my goodness, we haven't thought about this. Sometimes there's no LPAs in place, um, haven't thought about um, location or who's going to help, all of that sort of thing. So really, you should think about this. I know it's morbid, but you should think about this in advance. I think everybody's different as well. Everyone's got a different view on, you know, how, how they would want to be cared for. Um, you know, in what situations uh, they might need help and what situations uh, they might not. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, definitely worth um, talking with family about it. Yes. Because your, your views are not necessarily going to be the same as theirs. No, and it could actually be quite useful to talk about it if you're looking at yeah, LPAs. It sort of dovetails in with that, doesn't it? It's, it sort of opens up the conversation and, of course, prefer, preferably beforehand. 
So uh, with financial planning and cash flow forecasting, what you can do is you can build in the potential cost of care. And we do do this because we're working with families and sometimes we're doing intergenerational financial planning and passing money down the generations. Now, people will only consider that often if they know they're going to be okay in any eventuality. So they need to know they'll be okay to fund the cost of their care. So in order to take away the, the fear and to allow the individuals basically to get on with their lives and not worry about it, you should run a cash flow scenario so that you can see that the cost of potential care, even with inflation and rising costs, is affordable. And if it's not, then at least you know and you can think of what plan b might be and it might be that you have a strategy to look at a means test when that's appropriate so matt i think that we'll wrap up there and in summary talk about it talk about this issue people don't tend to until it becomes a problem planning ahead relieves the anxiety absolutely we've experienced it we know it does and it allows the individual to get on with their lives Create a proper cash flow incorporating current needs and potential long-term needs. That's what you need to do. As with any area like this, it is open to change. The rules will change. And there's no doubt that we're all living longer and the burden of looking after our ageing society will be ever increasing. This is a massive challenge for society as well as for the government. And if we can help to take away that fear in respect of this and thinking ahead, then that's positive. So I'd like to thank my colleague, Matt Rowe, for his informed input. We hope that you found this discussion useful. I know it's very meaty and I'm sure there's a lot more to say. We will be recording more podcasts in the future. Do let us know if there's any topics you'd like us to tackle. In the meantime, keep smiling.